RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me, as usual, is Brian. Hello there. And Mike. Hi. So, a couple of episodes ago, we discussed the entire East Texas University campaign. And frankly, we were pretty rough on the campaign. What we didn't talk about that much, aside from a numeric score and a single sentence piece, we didn't go into depth about the last session, which we all rated pretty highly. I'd really like to cover that last session with you guys. Okay. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm just so, used to you. I'm just used to you like starting off like when you say something like that. So. I just want to yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to put air in the conversation sometimes so that you guys feel free to break in with stuff. All right. No, Dusty, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the yes and Brian. Or so yes. Yes, but, but the, yes, the but. no but. I know I had well I had I had a boss that was all always about the no the yes but, which is just a no. I think yes buts are useful Well No yes buts are not useful I I use the no but When we role play no but Can I convince the guard to let me in and make me king Um well no But you can probably distract him Exactly Alright So talking about the last session Thinking about the last session I opened it with an attack on you guys I basically had you uh roll notice checks as as saving throws more or less to see if you noticed the attacker in your room. And if you failed that, I let the the, um, scorpions attack you. Uh, Unbeknownst to you, Julia, the overarching baddie of this campaign, had, you know, sent scorpions after you to try to assassinate you guys. How is that for a session opener first thing right out of the gate? I really like that. The only problem I had with it is I remembered doing that session opener six weeks ago before the storm interrupted our game, and I was really, really mad that I got a really good roll the first time we did it and a pretty poor roll this time. Oh, so this was a redo. <laughs> I knew the game. I knew we did a redo on the game, but I didn't realize you got in that far. Yes, we did. Yeah, we, yep. we were in pretty far, and well, I say that the first time around, it took us a while to do all to that rolling. Yeah. And and then the storm rolled up and and there was crazy lightning. Plus Brian, you weren't there, and I was yeah. like, you know, this is the final session. There's a storm. This isn't going well. We should we should call it and regroup. But yes, it was a redux. Yeah, but uh, but I actually really liked it. I I think that was very effective at getting the game going, putting us right into it, getting us engaged. I think one of the things we always struggle with is. You know, you kind of set up the premise and it turns into a, what do you do? Rather, in this one, it was a, here's the premise. Here's what you need to do. Here's what happens if you succeeded. Here's what happened if you failed. How do you react to how, how, how you know, the, the reaction of your character in this premise? It's funny that you mentioned your really good role last time because I don't know if you recall. Chris had a horrible role last time and then when I rolled damage on him, or I rolled no, I rolled the attack, and the attack exploded like a bunch. Yeah, and I had to roll a ton of extra d sixes, and it basically gave him the uh, 
the what's the stunned in Savage Worlds again? I forget. Anyway, whatever the the like shaken or whatever. Shaken, yeah. It gave him the shaken plus a bunch of wounds right out of the gate with the very first attack. You know, six weeks ago. So when we yep. came back to it this week, it uh, it gave him a chance to overcome that. And I noticed that he didn't bring that up. Like he didn't seem too concerned about that. Yeah, I was kind of surprised about that too. The uh, I, I thought it was a little more surprising that that the the opening this time was pretty much inconsequential, right? Like like the the last time we either had like extreme success or extreme failure, and this time it was just kind of like it's actually a little more natural, right? It's like oh, I got woken up by a scorpion, I flicked it off, and it didn't sting me, kind of like a scorpion might do in real life, but you know. Yeah, and it was the exact same math. It was the exact same attack and damage rolls. Yeah. So it, it's just it's just that luck of the dice. Brian, yeah. we haven't heard from you on this. What did you think of this as a session opener? So I liked the fact that we started off. Um, it I didn't immediately draw the connection that Julia was doing this other than I knew that she had to be. But to get some sort of um, clarity around uh, like where they came from, it was suggested that we go to Maggie, uh, who could uh potentially interpret like what kind of magic was, that, was causing this that's actually my next question is the next thing i did is so i knew that maggie was under a similar assault a similar attack so uh, part of me wanted to encourage you guys to reach out to her part of me didn't i don't think that i encouraged you you guys brought it up no and i i just asked you okay are you doing that or not but i was trying to do that very it was the only thing that made sense it was the only thing that made sense Yes. Do. Was I impassive? Was I encouraging you, or was I impassive? No, you were. You were completely impassive. All right. I, good. In yeah. fact, I think I was the one that suggested it. And you, you, you absolutely were. Yeah. And I didn't. And that was not based off any cue whatsoever. It's like, well, we need to figure out where this is coming from, and Maggie is our go-to person to interpret things like this. This being the last session, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys that if you hadn't contacted Maggie, she was going to be dead the next morning. Wow. Oh man. I'm glad I, we I, I wanted to make I wanted to give you guys a reason to really go after Julia. You know, it, it's funny because remembering back to that, I think both myself, Nathan, and Chris, we were all just like, "Yep, let's go get Julia straight to it." And I think Brian was the one that stepped in and was like, "Let's go find out about Maggie. Let's go check with Maggie." And I thought that was that was really interesting and, and a really smart thing to do. Well, I mean, here's the thing: like we we knew that Julia was important in this, but I thought that Dusty might. You know, do even in the last game, there might be a red herring, and we could go and uh, kill because we knew we would end up killing her, kill Julia, and it she, she could be mostly innocent. So I, I don't think she's done anything thus far uh, necessarily that would warrant her death. Maybe, maybe she has, but uh, I didn't want to just go and assassinate her uh, unless I had. Uh, <laughs> you know, proper cause to do so. And, uh, yeah, we, we absolutely did. And, uh, we decided to go ahead and, to, and carry that out. So m the combat with the actual scorpions where you guys exchanged a few, few blows. Um, one of you, I forget who needed help killing his scorpion. Is it Nathan? I can't recall. Oh it yes, it was. And yeah. then finally the attacking and, and fighting the scorpion in Maggie's room. How was that combat? It's pretty simple. I mean, it 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 served the purpose. Um, it I I did not at all ever once period 
feel like my character was at risk of dying. And yep. it was just a good way to start off the pace of the game. So I thought it was a great mechanism, but I don't think it, I, it was not a challenge at all. I would agree with that. That's a bummer because, again, using the exact same math, the Scorpions were pretty hella lethal with Chris last time we tried this. Uh, but, you know, swinging dice. I actually felt like uh, you guys were in danger. So I was, I was, as GM, more on the edge of my seat, it sounds like, than you guys were. So I didn't know that they were, like, super special scorpions. In my mind, they were, like, like we lived in the Southwest, so scorpions are a thing there, you know, where they're not here in North Carolina. And literally, we just had scorpions in the bed. So in my mind, we basically just had to stomp them, and that was not far from. It being Texas, let me just tell you, I was so close to using rattlesnakes instead of scorpions. And, and But I didn't know which would be creepier, so I went with scorpions. Uh, rattlesnakes, definitely. Yeah, rattlesnakes <laughs> definitely would have been creepier. <laughs> I mean, the way, oh. I, the way I look at it, there are people who are afraid of snakes, arachnophobes, uh, even though scorpions are arachnids. Uh, I don't think most people who are arachnophobes consider them spiders. Or they're not spiders, they're scorpions. But they, I don't think they're actually really afraid of them. So always, you know, err toward the side of the si- uh, whatever people are, more people are, uh, are generally afraid of. Got it. So. so the race to get – because when you burst into magazine and saved her from the scorpion, she was unresponsive. She had clearly been stung. And, in fact, you could see the sting. Was getting her to the hospital and getting her saved and getting her looked at, was, <laughs> was, that, was, was, there, was, that, was there tension there? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, especially with, with, with calling the, uh, the Girl Scout at her home at 3 a.m. That was, that was probably the highlight. <laughs> Uh, the high point of that game for me, because Brian just did such a great job with that. And it really, was, I was it was ridiculously funny. I was, I, yeah, I was just blathering. I, I, I don't even barely remember what I said. I was just trying to make the, 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 the proud papa think that his daughter was like the world's foremost expert in scorpion venom. We actually did a fair amount of role play in in that brief sequence. You guys role played with the RA to get up to Maggie's room. Uh, and then you role-played with the dad to to get the member of Troop 616, the Wilderness Girls, not the Girl Scouts, out to uh, to look at the magical scorpion wound. There was a bunch of role-play there, but I agree that the moment, Brian, even though you don't remember what you said, where you laid all that role-play out in really short order to convince that dad to drive his daughter to the hospital because of some anti-venom you claimed she'd borrowed for a project because they weren't expecting a scorpion bite, but really one had happened and now they needed the anti-venom back because it wasn't going to be replenished in time. Yeah. Like, you, you spun a beautiful tale, and I was at, at the end of it, we were all laughing. It sounded so good, and I was like, don't even roll. I thought it was preposterous. So I thought the story was ridiculous. I, I was, it was great. I thought it was, I was surprised that he fell for it. Mike, what do you think? No, I thought it was great. I was was it, I was was it too dying. permissive? Was too no, permissive no, me? it was it was it was it was the right response because it was just so ridiculous. And it was three a.m. I mean, obviously, this guy <laughs> at three a.m. has all this information about my daughter and her direct connection to this catastrophe that's happening. That he would have no choice but to be like, "WTF? Okay, let's just go to the hospital." And I was trying to channel sort of like that naive eighty sort of movie. Uh, like notion that you can sort of talk people into anything if you just keep blathering, uh, yeah. keep blathering. That's what that's sort of what I was yeah. going for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it was almost like um, 
I was about to say Beans Baxter, but that was a show on Fox. Like it was a Ferris Bueller style, you know, fake of, um, gosh, like his, his friend, was it his friend who got uh, Ferris's girlfriend like off the hook from going to school or something? It was kind of like that sort of yeah. Yeah, conversation. Yeah. Just so preposterous that there's there's nothing they can do but say, okay. Yeah. 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 That's fair. And, and I think that worked. So I, I I still feel no regrets about letting that pass with no roll. If you had done all that role play, Brian, and then you had rolled like a snake eyes. Oh, oh, that would have been so disappointing. But but yeah. the thing but the thing is there was actual tension there, so that would have like really uh that would have called caused like uh, an emotional eruption. And it would have been warranted and honestly it would have I mean while it would have been painful at the moment, it would have also been very memorable. And I don't think it would be a bad sort of memorable. So you guys save Maggie. You waited around. Maggie was able to confirm for you that these scorpions, because I think it was Chris's character, still had the scorpion residue on his boot. She was able to confirm that the magical signature was the same as previous magical signatures she's dealt with, even though she's never dealt directly with Julia. That was enough confirmation for you guys. And you went straight to... All right, let's kill her. Actually, no, you didn't. You made well, a stop along we the way. We, well, we did go straight to let's kill her, but we realized that we needed to create a diversion. Yep. So By at this another point, murder. <laughs> yes. This was the moment when you guys took over the session, and from then on, I was adjudicating your actions. Talk me through your decision about your distraction. I, I honestly think so. So if I remember correctly, the distraction was Nathan's decision. And I'm pretty sure he mentioned it just as a chance to get in his his grudge against the uh, the professor, whatever her name was. I mean, I was the, I was the one that got shot. Uh, so I mean, I was the one that had the I think the biggest grudge. Yeah, but, but he, say, why he, he, he wanted to kill her from the beginning. Like when we decided oh, not did, to I kill her, too. I he did was, too. He was he was upset. We decided not to kill her, I which mean, you know was the right choice because it got into a whole bunch of trouble after after we after we let her go. Yeah. Uh, and then she basically, you know, uh, changed the 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 message uh, to the cops. Uh, I decided, yeah, we're going to kill her. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I I, I made peace with that. And uh, I, if if who if it was Nathan that mentioned it, I probably if he hadn't, I I would I would have mentioned it. So I still love the yeah, idea yeah. that you guys distracted the police from a murder by just committing another murder. <laughs> yes. Yep. Some, well, I mean, we were some murder and hobos. It was, like the murder was ancillary. I mean, she would have died either way. But we wanted to burn down the house, and we wanted the police involved with like a fire, just so that like as many emergency responders could, you know, um, could, so could be involved. Bearing in mind that Chris does listen to the show, what did you guys think of Chris's rogue scene? Because we let him finally be a rogue take over the action, and assassinate that professor. I mean, there's a hiccup, I think, when he was trying to get into the home. Uh, I mean, what? so who who was it that wanted to, um, like, block off the door with... A tractor. Uh, a Nathan. Tr- yeah. And hay. With, yeah. And hay. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that made sense, but I, I think there's a hiccup getting inside. But once he got inside, like, man, I was, like, in it. I was... Yeah totally involved in uh his role play how he was going about things i can even picture it in my mind he's like walking up to he's walking up to the room 
And on one side of the room, there's an open bathroom. And on the other side, there's a closet door, closet door to her master bedroom. And you don't know where she is. So he had to take, uh, he basically he had to, to luck out to get her on the first go or, you know, use stealth to get to the other side if he was wrong without, you know, raising um, her attention. Now, I think her the way that he actually um, dispatched her, I think, was a little... I mean, it was realistic in the sense that it wasn't clean. It wasn't, like, smooth, uh, you know, assassin-like. It wasn't very assassin-y, no. No, but it was realistic and visceral. Yeah. I, uh, I, I personally think it suffered from the same thing that stealth stuff in 4E suffered from, right? Because the only way you can do stealthy stuff in 4E is just a constant ping-pong of stealth check, pass-fail, stealth check, pass-fail, stealth check, pass-fail. And as soon as you fail that first stealth check, you're you're rumbled. You can't do anything else. So it, it literally is a zero-sum game. So it puts this, the, the rogue in a really bad position where he has to try and be as creative as possible to web, 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 uh, weave this web of, of constant things I can do to attempt to succeed my stealth check as much as possible. So, on the one hand, that's true, and we've made that mistake in the past. Where, if if your plan requires three or four rolls in a row to succeed, your plan's going to fail. Yep. But I was actually counteracting it, Mike. It didn't come up, but I was counteracting it with another four E mechanic: the idea of the skill challenge. Yep. Where if you get so many successes before you get so many failures, you 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 win. So he didn't he didn't fail actually he actually made the four consecutive rolls right he fooled the people outside yep. he made his check to get over oh, the, the fence. old people i forgot about the, the old the people. neighbors yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so he fooled the neighbors he made his check over the fence he made his way through the window he succeeded the check on checking the the, the bathroom he actually succeeded on that if he'd failed i was going to make him fail twice before i blew his cover one failure was going to draw her attention like in a stealth video game when, when the guards are like, did you hear that? And all of a sudden they're on patrol for like, you know, 30 seconds. Yep. That's what was going to happen at one failure. So I was trying to counteract. I, I, I knew the thing about, you know, four rolls in a row, it's never going to work. I knew that. And I was trying to use a skill challenge mechanic to counteract it, but I didn't need to. And I think that's almost kind of why it slowed down, right? It was it was the one player doing all that interacting for for that length of time, and I think that's kind of why it felt slow. I can't regret that though, Mike. Because no, I agree. He'd he'd been wanting to be a rogue for the entire campaign, and, he and had we never chance. Let him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought I thought it was great, and what I loved about uh, when he actually confronted her, like he tried to use was it assassinate? I don't remember. Like was. Is that the is that the attack that he used or am I well, pulling, he, pulling? he had a, a I forget what they called in Savage World feet, feet whatever whatever they call feats an edge he had an edge that allowed him to do more damage on an attack and I think it may have actually been called assassinate yeah but so he basically tried to in my mind use it he, he in my mind the attack is sort of like a precision like uh, a precision attack where you would basically you know uh, stab. And then hopefully, you know, one shot, one kill. But it was like he swung at her with like a butcher knife. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like the, the way that you uh, described how like it, it scraped against the bone. At that point, I'm like, oh, God, when they find her, when they find her corpse, they're going to know that she just didn't die in the fire. Yeah. 
And uh, that's exactly what I was going for. FYI. Yeah. So like at that point, I was like, I was, cr- I was crestfallen. But then I thought, well, there's nothing specifically linking us here. And maybe we can have an alibi of no officer. We were across town killing somebody else. <laughs> Uh, in which we, basically we did like uh, fortunately yeah. fortunately it turns out that uh you know we didn't have to uh hide what happened with Julia but um yeah my I, my heart sank a little bit when when uh, you uh described the the scrape the 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 knife against like her uh yes her, her spine so that's the thing I was going for so I'm gonna compliment savage world despite how hard we were on it in the campaign postmortem I like the wound system. So the fact that he overcame her shaken and got one wound on her gave me a lot to play with in the narration. So I was able to, to say, okay, you don't kill her. Um, she hears something last minute. She twists, you know, she suddenly looks and that sudden movement makes you miss, you know, the, the vital wound that you were going for. And you cause this lesser wound, which is still serious and still a wound. Trying to do that in D&D or Pathfinder, where you're dealing with hit points. I got to where I could sort of do it. Like, I got to where I was in the headspace of the first half of your hit points, you know, was your defenses getting battered, but you're taking no actual wounds until, you know, to borrow a term from 4E, when you lose half your hit points and you're bloody, that's your first wound. But then how many more wounds do you take between that and dead? What if you take a bunch of ones? You know, how do I describe the fact that Savage Worlds has the three wounds makes that a lot easier to narrate. I still had a problem that that lady was tougher than any of us. Yeah, it, it is a little odd. <laughs> I know, yeah. like you try to explain that she's fighting for her life, and you know, in in the moment that makes sense, but it doesn't make sense when you think that's her like her her stats are are higher than ours. Yeah. I hear you, I, and and I do hear that. I, I was I I had pulled her stat block from some from some Pathfinder or not sorry not Pathfinder from some Savage Worlds, you know, bestiary or document or something that I'd found online. So I was totally borrowing her stats. I didn't have a good good justification for why her toughness was so high. That's fair, given the setting of the game. I mean, if you had implied that she was. Um, had some sort of supernatural endowment, you know. I, I mean, I think I would have been fine with that. Uh, oh, I should have, because yeah. she she was the cult leader who was sacrificing people. Yeah. I should have totally done that, but I, I, it didn't occur to me. Well, that's all right. So we had the rogue scene. I could see that Nathan was getting bored, which is why I love video chat. I love being able to watch faces. I, I, I could just see on Nathan's face that he was losing it a little bit. The fight did drag on, and about the fourth turn in combat where she still wasn't dead, I was like, okay. She's bleeding profusely. Chris, Chris's character has weapons. She doesn't. He's caught her off guard in her house. She's going to go down. Let's just quickly resolve this and figure out um, what consequences Chris suffers. So I had Chris, you know, thank goodness for um, Google Hangouts, roll dice chat. I had Chris uh, roll 1d2 to see if he took one wound or two wounds from her before he was able to kill her, and then we called that combat done. And then you guys burned the house down and moved on. So me ending that fight with the 1d2 wounds instead of playing it out, how'd you guys feel about that? I was fine with it. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was great. Kept the game moving. Yeah, I was curious what that was going to mean 
for the actual um, final confrontation. And I was willing to let him die uh, in the in the last game and then burn down the magic shop and leave, and leave his corpse there. That was actually what I was going to suggest uh, we do as yeah as a crew if he died. I mean, I didn't want him to die. That's not what I'm saying. But had he died, I would have suggested that we burn down the magic shop. Man, how much, how much grief would we have given him if he just got killed by this professor lady who had no supernatural linkages at the time? He was... It was just some crazy old well, lady. Then, well, I'm not, I'm not not in that not in that combat, but like when uh, when we finally faced Julia, if oh. she, if, she, if she if she did him in, gotcha. I was going to suggest that we burn down the magic shop as well with his body. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so the final confrontation with Julia, you guys took the initiative on that. You guys brought the fight to her. Tell me about that. I mean, so I just want to get it done at that point. Like I, it, it, I was actually kind of channeling. I think what my character was feeling at the time too. Because he was angry, one, uh, I don't want to say that I felt or he felt impotent in not having a direct hand in the death of uh, the professor, but I, I was glad that she was dead, but I, like, I, I definitely had an axe to grind, and I think that I didn't get to uh, take anything out on her, which sounds terrible when I put it, when I say it out loud, but I mean, she was evil, and uh, she did us wrong. I still sound bad because I sound like a jilted <laughs> lover. Um, no, she was literally evil, and she had literally killed people, and uh, she had manipulated her way out of being punished for it. Um, but like Julia, I honestly I just kind of wanted to get it done. So uh, we lucked into uh, this mechanic where we were looking for armor, and uh, I just had an excellent role. <laughs> yep. So basically the armor that I found was police riot gear. And like on like as I was on the way there, it occurred to me that oh, uh, somebody might actually mistake me for police. So the, the, the moment when you were like, "Wait a minute, am I really wearing police riot gear?" I was like, "Hell yes, you are." I didn't know what you were thinking, but I knew I wanted to be a part of it. So I wanted to get. So I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to clear people out of the magic shop, and I wanted to give us plausible deniability uh, in case um, you know if if it, we were suspected. So I, I suggested that the guys go around back where they're not seen in police riot gear. I would walk into, um, I would walk into the magic shop, and uh, I, I don't remember specifically. I was going to say a bomb threat. I, somebody suggested bomb threat, and I'm like, yeah, let's let's do that. So uh, I walked in with the goal of letting the customers know that there was a bomb threat. They needed to leave, and the proprietor of the establishment needed to stay with me, conveniently leaving her with me. And uh, there was one guy, uh, we were able to get him out, and Julia, I like how you role-played it, Julia thought I was a cop. So I said, oh, this is great. So literally I pulled out uh, my baton, and I just I cracked her in the head because I just wanted to get it done. I didn't want to role-play, I didn't want to hold it over her, I didn't want her to get, give her a chance to repent, I just wanted her dead. So I had her go supernatural. I had her transform. I'm so glad she, you did. She grew fangs. Yeah. She became an inhuman monster. I wanted to give you guys the gift of her being inhuman and uh, had her go to town attacking you guys. She spent a ton of bennies trying to stay up. Um, I will say, I think the one moment that kind of killed my... I, I really felt like things were, again, fast, furious, fun, to borrow the, the Savage World's motto. I think, I think things were really going great. 
And then Nathan kind of made this comment where he was like, well, she's spinning bennies faster than we are. So in the economy of this fight, we're winning. And I was like, oh, man. Like, he's right. It's a foregone conclusion, kind of. But still, that that killed my enthusiasm a bit. I didn't catch that. I caught that. Yeah. I, I also was thinking that in my head that she was going down super duper quick. Like, she wasn't putting up a strong fight. And, and it kind of made me think of a lot of the other combat encounters in, in this campaign. It's kind of funny. We've struggled with combat more against real people than we have against supernatural entities and, and, yeah. and boogers and, and ghosts and goblins, which I it's thought was funny. It's been the roles. It's been the roles. You guys had some killer roles on her. A bunch of raises. I don't, I don't mean it in a in a bad way. Cause I, not that I wanted to get the game over with. And I, not that I wanted to waste your time as GM, but in my head, the way that I just wanted to get it over with and kill her, I just, I just wanted her, I wanted her dead, and it, and that's certainly what we got. And the fact that she was a demon, uh, one gave me the uh, confidence that we were doing the right thing, and two let me know that uh, if when she finally dies, if she remains in that form, we can get off the hook by saying, you know, we were in there. She turned into a demon, attacked us, and we just, you know, self-defense. She also had some pretty dismal roles. Like, I, when, when I had her try to use her vampire ability, and then if her claws would have hit, it would have weakened you. There was all this stuff that, all these status effects that she had that could have stacked up on you guys and, and made the fight go the other way. But she had some dismal, dismal attack roles. Yeah, her staying that way after she died... I did that on purpose, and I'm surprised that none of you asked Sheriff Anderson about that as he interviewed you about this whole thing. I think that just would have implicated us if we even indicated that we knew anything about it. Because why would we otherwise know that, oh, by the way, they found this dead demon at a magic shop? Yeah, I guess. That's true. I hadn't thought of that. Damn it, Mike. You're, you're too smart. <laughs> so you finished the fight with Julia. Um Mike, for you, is like, oh, she's going out super fast. But Brian, for you, you were satisfied because your plan had worked. That combat you know, played out. And then we did the denouement by having Sheriff Anderson talk to you guys and more or less admit right away, I have nothing to pin on you guys, but we're going to talk this out. Did that scene feel worthwhile as a denouement or waste of time? The sheriff? Yes. Um, No, I mean, it, it was perfect. It was just like a cheesy 80s movie where, you know, the sheriff knows, uh, but he's cool with it. We've sort of we've sort of won him over. He can't pin anything on us, and he's not even going to bother to try. So, uh, I mean, it's it, it's it's cheesy and perfect in, in an 80s way. So, no, I thought that was great. I was going for, for a sort of a the way Big Trouble in Little China ends. Yeah. Where where Egg Shen is talking to the police at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie, to, to try to frame up the movie. I was going for the Egg Shen scene at the end where the cops aren't really prepared for what they might hear. Yeah, I think that I think that was a good approach and I think it worked. I think it also maybe potentially gave us a uh a hook back into this storyline at some point if for some reason we ever want to revisit. Not that we probably ever will, but I think that option's there. I think the hook would be that at least one of you would I – mean, actually, Mike, it probably be your character since you're the, the, the criminal justice major – would show back up as a deputy. Oh, I thought about that. Nah, dude, his 
Tad is yeah. not going to be a deputy. No, yeah. At the end of the game, I literally put up two fingers and said, I'm dropping out of school to go sell cars. But yeah, like, that's true. That's I mean, true. He's, 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 he, like, yeah, I mean, he, he's rich. I mean, he might end up being a lawyer, uh, but he's, I don't think, I don't see him being a deputy. Maybe like a DA, like like I'm a yeah. ghost fighting DA. Yeah. Maybe maybe an incompetent lawyer, like you know, a judge or a senator. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um this session I think went well. And we all rated it highly um as we gave the numbers a couple podcasts ago. Anything that I didn't cover that you want to talk about? You know, we honestly I think we pretty much uh we pretty much well so i mean so one thing so we there was um the 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 counselor not the counselor pardon me i want to oh yeah yeah the the blue rock and then miss schwartz the the wilderness girls troop leader yeah so i mean so that was resolved i don't remember if there were any uh dangling plot points that were left un uh the only thing that the only thing i would have liked to have addressed that i didn't think to at the time was Maggie and our sort of relationship with her because, you know, I think I'd gotten tired of her uh, trying to get her affection like in the last game of the game before, but I sort of started to rekindle that in in this game when she was in danger, Uh, and I just sort of left that, you know, floating in the wind. I think the only other thing we didn't address is did we actually graduate? Oh, yeah. Um, at the end, Nathan brought that up. He's like, hey, I want to make go ahead and make all these academics roles. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, do you really? And he's like, nah. Yeah, uh, yeah my uh, character doesn't have to graduate. And, and, and to be honest, I'm actually really glad we kind of abandoned that pretty early in the game because it didn't add anything at all. It really uh, didn't. Uh, you know, my character, he was a communications major. He wanted to uh, end up being, he was going to end up being a successful conservative talk radio um, host and I mean that your your major added stuff. What yeah. what Mike's saying is for the first couple sessions we actually stuck to what the ETU book says and and we rolled academics. Oh yeah, between no, yeah. sessions we didn't, we didn't do that. And it was like you know okay this this professor some professor really likes you or some professor really hates you or whatever the academics rolls results. All my in. professors would hate me. Yeah, we abandoned that. I would be quickly. I would be I would be the student that would uh, be in the biology class and I would try to be. Uh, uh, talking the biology professor into, uh, you know, refuting evolution, and like everybody in the class would hate me. You know, <laughs> if you cut off a baby's finger but not past the first knuckle, it'll grow back. We know a guy who actually believed that. Yeah. Yeah, and for those of you out there that are wondering, it's not. No, it's true. not true. Do not cut off your baby's <laughs> it's fingertips. Not, it's not true. But this guy, he was a biology major. <laughs> he was literally, <laughs> literally a biology major. Yep. Sorry, tangent. Anyway, so, uh, you know, I'll throw one other thing out there that I haven't talked about. Anytime we've done an ETU podcast, I have not mentioned this. I have wanted to run a college game for forever. I bought the Miskatonic University supplement years ago and read the heck out of it where I wanted to run a Miskatonic University game in Call of Cthulhu. Um, I actually got two different editions of the Miskatonic University book. Um I bought the Miskatonic University short stories. Uh, there's a there's, a, there's a, a you know a novel a book a book of short stories, and I've read all those. I really have wanted to run a college game for so long, and Savage World DTU. I was like, perfect. All that energy I wanted to put into a college game, I'll put it into this game. And then it, for whatever reason, 
well, for the reason that I tried to follow the one sheets too closely, it just didn't work out. So I really want to revisit that, but it's going to be years I mean, before I'm ready to do another college game. So in the last game, I said that uh, most of my problems with the game uh, involved uh, the fact that we were playing remotely. There, you know, like to to your point, some there are some quibbles around the one sheets. How it didn't some sometimes they didn't uh, necessarily make sense, like a game that you really sit and think about before you before you run it. Um, but I, and I said that I like Savage Worlds. I, I I was one of two. I think uh, Dusty and I, and then Nathan sort of relented later on, saying that it, you know it was fine. Like I could totally see myself playing this character for a lot more than six sessions or whatever we we did, but just I couldn't do it remotely. Like I could I I would be fine with this game persisting if it was just done in person. I, I could play Tad Buffson for as long as we ever wanted to, but maybe just not in Savage Worlds. What about in Call of Cthulhu? What if we do a game at Miskatonic? Yeah. Like, you guys transfer to Massachusetts. Oh, and, yeah. And we have, <laughs> yes. and we have yes. the game at Miskatonic University in yes. the Call of Cthulhu system. I'd be fine with that. I just want to do it in person. Yep. I love the dynamic that Mike and I had, uh, our characters had. I loved, my, I loved like the fact that the, the role play that I was able to do with this character. Like in the past, I've talked about how I love playing a character that is, you know, lawful good. So like a paladin, and I, I just that feels what that feels most natural for me in like a, in a fantasy or a medieval setting. But in this, like playing like a. A neocon or playing, you know, like uh, like a conservative talk show host makes, makes helps me like funnel a lot of feelings and emotions that I had from my teenage years when I just listened to conservative talk radio, and um, when I was a, a completely different person. It helps me sort of, you know, channel that person and uh, re- you know relieve a lot of uh, uh, stress that I have, you know, bubbling up from from deep within. I. I actually really enjoy that. You did a good job with it. You really did. Like, I mean, I you know, uh, I I can channel that, and I can I can draw from it. I can. That's the reason I try. I can relate to a lot of people because, you know, like uh, we, you know, I, Mike and I grew up in the most Republican uh, county in America, basically, and you know, I've mellowed over the years, but I can still relate to all my friends and family who still live there. Because I know how they think, because I thought the same way, and you, it's it's kind of nice. So I'm gonna reflect on a couple of lessons learned real quick, but I also want to get you guys' opinion on something. So let me start with lessons learned first. I think the main lesson from this session is, as a GM, I was much more willing to step in. Um, okay, so think of players' interest as a bell curve, right? Um, there's either end of the bell curve. There's too much role play and not enough combat, or the other end is there's too much combat and not enough role play to where I, I lose some people at the table. Whenever we got too far toward either end of the bell curve, I just cut it off. I cut off the combat and said, okay, roll 1d2, and let's see how many wounds you take, and let's move on. Um, I cut off some of the role play to say, okay, you succeed, the dad shows up. You know, I, I facilitated and sped up and expedited some portions of the game to, to move us forward. Mm-hmm. And that intervention, I think, felt natural. Yeah, and helped the game not drag. You guys agree with that? Yeah, specifically, I think you did it with the scorpion, and was it Nathan or or Chris? Yeah. Well, with Chris, it got away. But yeah, it made perfect sense. Uh, if I mean, it felt right, and it didn't feel artificial. It didn't feel like you were rushing us. 
Hey, four will, of you are yeah. in the room. This scorpion's going to die. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah, it's like it's like this is no longer something important that we have to focus on. There's no yeah, exactly. There's there's no risk uh, to you dying anymore. Let's just uh, let's just resolve it. I think once you got off the one sheets, your timing and pacing oh, yes. was was perfect. It yeah. was beautiful. It was it was it was upbeat. It was paced right. It felt good. It felt natural. You did an excellent job in that second half of that campaign, reading us as a table. So DMs feel free to be interventionist DMs sometime. You know, in, in, intervene in the session. Once something becomes a foregone conclusion, cut it off. And, and just move on to something different. So that worked out really well. And then one retrospective here on, on something I think we've actually gotten better at. Brian, you've said in episode after episode that you're slow to engage with a character. You're slow to get started. We only played eight sessions of this, and you were a killer role player. A killer role player as Alex right out of the gate. Because I think the radio station was episode two. Right out of the gate, you were killing some serious role play so mike i was going to get your opinion i think this is the first time brian has eclipsed you as far as being the driving force of the party to get stuff done and to interact with most of the npcs i agree and i think it's the modern setting that enabled him to do that yeah and the fact that um this was the first time that i rolled and created my character in a long time uh like with the uh, Pathfinder game, it was a pre-gen. We've done a lot of other pre-gens. Uh, yeah. So, like, I was able to craft the character that I wanted him to be. Like with uh, Ezrin in the Pathfinder game, I just decided later on I didn't care what his backstory was, and I just sort of made him, like, you know, uh, like a super smart misfit. And I had fun playing that character. But uh, I was able to create somebody that, that I was able to relate to immediately, uh, with this, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. You, you know, you realize you, that now that you say that, if we were to go back and listen to the episode about the level 20 demon hunters game, you did the same thing. You created your own demon hunter, you gave him sort of the paladin, you know, Bible thumping background. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, again, yes. right out of the gate, you were killing role play. Hey, do what you know. So, Brian a lesson, needs agency. Yeah. Well, a huge lesson learned here is Brian needs to create his own character. That's awesome brian that that that's that crystallizes why or that's need, really good or i need to create a character that's a fundamentalist baptist well i think i think it's you creating a character that you're familiar with yeah i don't know if we talked on the show about the fact that you know you were basically raised around and your first job was a christian radio station oh yeah like i've worked for four companies in my entire life and two of them were uh christian faith-based, faith-based companies and you know i'm an atheist i'm you know uh so it i have and i have been i I was an atheist from my early teenage years so like working for those faith-based companies i came into that as an atheist so i had sort of a, a detached uh perspective on things and it wasn't so much that i was even raised uh in like the church because my i i attended the church off and on as a kid but it's mostly just growing up in the Bible Belt, in the thickest, thickest part of the Bible Belt, in a very conservative location, really helped shape who I am. And being an atheist in that really, uh, really <laughs> affected me in weird ways. My favorite quote about you, Brian, was on your bachelor night, 
when one of your friends from RFC uh, drunkenly yelled regarding your wedding vows, this is ridiculous. Brian Kilby loves Optimus Prime more than he loves God. <laughs> yes, I, that was Senate. That was uh, that was my buddy Senate who said that. Okay, on that thought, we we leave you. Thank you for listening to RPG Lessons Learned. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.